This is an RNZ podcast. Even before Steve Hansen and Kieran Reid led the All Blacks out for their last game as All Black coach and captain respectively, the media were churning out speculative stories about who will replace them. New Zealand Rugby's Chief Executive Steve Chew was giving nothing away on Radio Sport when he was put on the spot by Martin Devlin. Are you honestly saying that none of this has actually happened up until now? Surely that you're not sitting here as November approaches with four or five weeks. You must have some people in mind. There must have been some approaches. It would be just it seemed weird and unlikely that that wouldn't have happened. Well, all back, the all-back coach is quite a special job, so there's a group of people that kind of self-select and would be available. So, as I said, everybody who we think would be interested in the job, who we think are in the mix, know exactly what we're doing, and they'll be ready for the moment when we reach out for Now, Steve Chew is also stepping down at the end of this year, and whoever ends up in the trio of top jobs at the sharp end of our biggest sport will need to know how to handle the media. Some say that handling the media these days is as essential to success in modern business leadership as handling the actual business you lead, as we'll hear. And one who seems comfortable with all that is the man in charge of rugby's main broadcaster here, Sky TV boss Martin Stewart. Last month, he announced Sky's big new deal for exclusive rights for top-grade rugby, not just in the usual way, via the media, but also direct to the public on YouTube. Good morning, everyone. Delighted to be able to announce today that we have reached a new deal with New Zealand Rugby. This revolutionary deal will see Sky deepen its investment at all levels of the game. And he ended it with a quick gag involving a rugby ball being fired at him from stage left. So it just remains for me to say thank you to everyone at New Zealand Rugby and to all of our Sky teams who worked so hard to get this done. Oh look, we caught it. A little riposte there to those who had been loudly proclaiming that Sky had dropped the ball on sports rights. In New Zealand took a similar approach, unveiling its new chief executive, Greg Foran. That news was also sent to Air New Zealand's clients, customers and AirPoints accounts holders in a personalised email which began like this. Greg, who is a world-class New Zealander, will take up the position in the first quarter of next year. Greg has a massive passion for our country and the role that Air New Zealand can play in its future success economically, socially and environmentally. Now this email urged recipients to watch a YouTube video featuring Greg Foran at home in his all-black shirt to learn more about him. Air New Zealand, to me, is one of the world's most iconic brands. When I get on a plane to return to New Zealand. It's actually a delightful feeling. And after talking about how much he missed New Zealand sausage rolls, Chardonnay and cream donuts while he was working overseas, Greg Foran ended with this thought on the importance of trust. Trust is incredibly important. Part of it is letting people achieve their highest potential. If you can build that trust with your staff to stride out and achieve things they didn't think were possible, you can do that if you build trust. Air New Zealand is just, I think, critical to New Zealand as a country. However, being out on the front foot personally on social media channels doesn't always work well for business leaders. Take the case of Davy Hughes, the proud boss of Levin-based outdoor clothing company Swazi. After years of manufacturing exclusively from this local base, he took a difficult decision to move some work for some garments to Thailand, and he announced it like this in a personal fireside chat-style video on YouTube. There'll be a change in focus on our base layers and fleeces and we'll be manufacturing those outside of Swazi. In actual fact, we'll be manufacturing them offshore in Thailand. So I know that over the years that, uh, that we've really 
held fast to the fact that every single item that we made was made right here in New Zealand. But the fact of the matter is, for us to keep up with that demand and be able to, to satisfy you, the customer, we are going to have to take some of those uh, basic products offshore. But when the New Zealand Herald picked up on that, this headline appeared on its website. After 25 years keeping it local, Kiwi Clothing Company moves production offshore. After which an irritated Davy Hughes climbed onto Facebook to say this. We are not moving offshore. At present, there are seven garments being made in Thailand. All our high-performance technical gear is still being manufactured right here in Levin. The machinists that we're sewing on our fleece line are all keeping their jobs. Davy Hughes got a pretty prompt clarification from the Herald on that, but all in all, being proactive on social media didn't really work out well in that instance. So, is it really important whether or not we see business leaders a lot in the media and whether the public is familiar with them? It could be when push comes to shove for their businesses, according to this. A new research suggests it's not enough for company leaders to front up during a crisis. They actually need to build up the public's trust in advance. Media researcher Incentia has studied the response of four leaders to crises that have been uh, in the coverage recently, and the coverage they've also received for it. The media monitoring company Incentia had looked at media coverage of four crises and how they were handled by leaders. Mark Zuckerberg under fire for the spread of hate on Facebook, the response of Boeing's boss to the crashes of 737 MAX planes earlier this year, Rugby Australia's handling of the Israel Folau crisis and Jacinda Ardern's response to the Christchurch mosque attacks. Ascentia's head of insights, Nairi Crawford, told Morning Report last Monday that this showed the public trust in leaders is enhanced by seeing them more often in the media. But New Zealand's business leaders, she said, were all too often absent, even in times when the news was not bad for their businesses. There's not a lot of presence of our leaders on social media. There's not a lot of presence of CEOs specifically in media except for uh, you know, major announcements, financial announcements any kind of crisis. There's not that general building of trust and profile and being an expert in an area or creating content that they can, that on their own social platforms that they can engage an audience with. Now it makes sense that a leader with a positive public profile built up in the media will have a head start when a crisis happens, but is it actually better for us if companies and their leaders stick to their knitting instead of trying to manage the media? A question I explored with Icentia's Nairi Crawford. Ultimately, we're trying to look at how do media define leadership, what kind of uh, contribution do media make to the idea of leadership currently. And we started with corporate. So we started with um, the highest value companies in New Zealand and Australia. And the main thing that we found for uh, corporate leaders is really that they are quite absent on social media. And it's more about trying to get people away from, I guess, massive risk aversion that there is with social media and being open and being out there that comes in a a corporate structure and moving slightly further towards being more connected with your audience. Mm. And one of the case studies in this research that you released this week um, was about Rugby Australia's handling of the Israel Folau situation Mm -hmm. and specifically uh, the leadership of Raylene Castle, Mm. um, the chief executive there. Um, Interesting conclusion in the report I found here. It says the ultimate impact of this crisis will be whether... Australian federal court decisions reflect the same views as the court of the public and media opinion and the wide-ranging implications if those views don't align. But does that mean that they're taking a huge gamble? If you're saying they don't align in the end, that actually being out there, being decisive, fronting the media could have worked against her if, if the public and media attitude had been different? 
I think the gamble the other way would have been much worse had they had they not done anything about it, given that um, this was not the first incident with him. It was sort of the third or the fourth. And I think this one, because it's still an active crisis, really, because I think the, the trial isn't set until next year, but it has a huge implication just generally for how people can express themselves on social media. I guess what rights Trump which and mm-hmm. do you have a right to personally express your religious views if they do discriminate against someone else? What role does your employer pay, play in that? All of those things are really um, complicated and I think is going to be a really interesting thing to watch when that actually does get debated. In the four case studies in this research you released this week, I mean, the one that will um, have the most interest here in New Zealand would be the analysis of Jacinda Ardern's response to the Christchurch mosque attacks mm-hmm. and how her leadership was analysed and portrayed in the media. What do we learn from the coverage of that? We looked at uh, New Zealand media, Australian media and media across Southeast Asia as well. It's very rare for us to see political leaders have so much overt praise about their leadership. So there was a, a significant amount of, of praise for her leadership. Domestically, um, there was, I think, about 70% of the international coverage that we looked at was overtly praising her reaction, uh, which is very uncommon in in that scenario. It's also uncommon in crisis for leaders to not somehow end up the story in the way that they've reacted, which Jacinda has on the positive end. But certainly when that story was still ongoing and very much in the first kind of week or two weeks afterwards, her behaviour just kind of set the tone as fact the language choice that she had, um, even her choice to wear a headscarf, all of those things cascaded down and that's how everybody else set their behaviour around her. How do, how do you mean was accepted as fact? So generally in this in this type of scenario, you'll see, uh, you'll see a lot of analysis of how a leader responds or how a leader chooses to respond. There'll be um, nitpicking on either side around choices that they may or may not make. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in this in this scenario, obviously, it's a very, very heightened crisis. The way that she responded wasn't overanalyzed. It wasn't her choices weren't particularly dissected or critiqued. Her choice not to name the accused. All of those things were just okay, taken as fact. From my perspective, the the view that we've taken of her leadership a lot of the time is really that she's quite upfront about what she cares about and how she feels about politics and what she thinks should come first. She's always been very proactive about leading with empathy and leading with kindness. So I feel, um, and a lot of our data supports, that it's not, this is the way you would expect her to react. Mm -hmm. So because it's not, it's not like she's putting on a mask, like a crisis mask, that this is how she would, this is how she should behave. Well, um, another interesting case study uh, was Boeing and how Mm. it handled this crisis, the crashes of the 737 MAX planes, um, and its chief executive, Dennis um, Muhlenberg. But he was criticised for being absent or even too silent Mm. after the crashes, uh, so the the opposite sort of approach. But if he and the company didn't really know or couldn't say definitively what had caused the crashes that all the information wasn't in, why is it necessarily wrong to keep a low profile just because, you know, the media's out there wanting comment? A lot of that is really the, the crux of what we're finding in this in this leadership series, is I I don't think that the expectations that leaders place on themselves or businesses place on themselves is the same as what the public do. Mm. So for in the case of Boeing, it wasn't only absence; it was also that they communicated incredibly defensively. 
So it was it was always it wasn't a case of we don't know. It was a case of well that's it's not the plane. There's not an error. It's we think that was a pilot error. Huh. And it was only after the second crash that it became clear that uh, there was a, a software error. But the absence of them only creates space for speculation. And when you're an incredibly large organisation like Boeing, it just led to a lot of um, discussions around their financial performance and if potentially there was an issue with the planes and if they had cut costs to meet demand for the planes, if there was an issue with how those planes were being certified and their relationships with the FAA. There was this huge... Uh, space for all of those conversations to happen and they weren't in them uh, and whether or not they I can understand from a, from a regulation perspective and the, the risk perspective associated with it but if you look at it with the value of hindsight if Boeing had done one thing differently and if they had made a proactive decision to ground the planes if they had made that decision they would have taken an initial financial hit that would be significantly less than the financial hit they're going to take from not acting. And the fact that they have three, at least three massive active lawsuits against them from their own shareholders, from pilots, and from the families of the victims of the plane mm. crashes. So it's it's easy to to it's easy to get into a into a space of oh well if we don't know it's easier to say nothing. I don't think that's acceptable in a current media environment, I think, because there's... Because it looks like you're not taking responsibility. It, it absolutely does. And it's... I th- I would rather, as as a member of the public, I'd rather know that you don't know, that you know that it's unacceptable and that you're going to do something about it. There's not a harm in communicating that after these type of events. I'm thinking of a separate situation, well out of the scope of your report, but the almost the opposite of that. For example, when the Pike River mine disaster mm. happened, you had um, Peter Whittle, the chief executive of the Pike River Company, he was looked upon as a man of calm who was communicating, frequently talking to the media, mm. fronting every press conference. People responded really well to him. Uh, at the time, I think people even wanted to nominate him for New Zealander of the Year, even though mm. he was actually an Australian um, business leader who happened to be in charge of that company. And yet, all the things we've learned after that, there were all sorts of things going on that he was not talking about, real problems at the company. So there, I mean, the sort of tactics you're talking about, being present, communicating this stuff, but that wasn't helping the public interest at all. In that case, if you are someone who fronts a crisis and you're not being, you know you're not being honest, you're hardly, gonna, you're hardly being authentic. But also if this is about knowing leaders before a crisis and being able to build up that bank of trust so that people believe you, it means that when you are communicating things that you probably don't want to, the reaction to it isn't going to be as significant as feeling like you have to front something and potentially lie or cover things up. Well, with that in mind, Air New Zealand um, last week emailed its customers directly to uh, urging them to watch this YouTube video all about the new chief executive, uh, Greg Foran. Is that an example of what you're talking about, business leaders using social media channels and, and letting them know who they are? Yeah, I think it's a start. You aren't going to know someone from, from one particular video. And I think a lot of that is also there's this underlying narrative about CEOs in New Zealand uh, about them not being from New Zealand, so I think a lot of a lot of that video is also about really uh, demonstrating to customers that he is from New Zealand and he's re- he's returning home to lead this business, uh, whereas it, when it could have easily been like Air New Zealand picks Walmart CEO to lead them rather than it being about him from being from New Zealand. Uh, so it it is a start, but a lot of this is never going to be done with with one piece of content. It's about having 
a sustained idea and plan around how you can make your leader more visible. In, in communications particularly, there is, there's been a tendency to not necessarily use them all the time. If, they're not, if you don't believe them to be particularly media savvy, you won't put them up. You want to show a really diverse range of voices from your organisation, which is great. But it does mean that in times of crisis and when you've got a front bad news, you only put the CEO up then. So it only can only decrease trust in a CEO because you only ever see them in a difficult situation. But with this rather soft video of Greg Foran, mm. to use him as an example, there he is in his all-black shirt, yeah, relaxed at home, nice. talking about how much he missed cream donuts and sausage rolls while he was away. Mm. You know, I'm thinking, that's not what I want to know about Greg Foran later when there's a crisis issue and we're thinking, well, what's this new leader? What's his metal? I'm thinking, well... What was his role at Walmart? How did he do there? And you know, in this cutthroat world of U.S. retail on that massive scale, um, you know, those sorts of things are not addressed at all. So that, for me, isn't going to help at all. I'm going to be more suspicious of his handling, his response to a crisis, mm. because uh, they've tried to soft soap me as a guy who's sentimental about New Zealand when that doesn't matter to me if he's running an important company for, you know, our country and our society. I don't have the same reaction to it. Is you? Um, I took a I took a quick poll with my team yesterday. We all we all watched it, and it was very much like, oh yeah, that's nice. No one thought it was in depth or a, a true representation of of what he is and what he what he intends to do with the brand. But it was like, okay, that's it's nice to see who he is. Now, uh, since he became the boss of Sky about six or seven months ago, Martin Stewart, uh, the new leader, has been really out there in his mm. social personally. Uh, tweeting, fronting announcements in a almost sort of Steve Jobs style, <laughs> a little black jumper, and very at ease it seems in front of a camera. Do you think this is an actual a good effective part of leadership, or did, would it have mattered if he didn't really conduct himself in that way and try and communicate directly with the public via social channels? This is the the right direction for them to be heading, and when you think of what what he walked into, um, when you had you've had a CEO previously who was quite aggressive and when he did comment it was generally generally indicated that he quite didn't quite understand the the, the tone of his audience or where where his industry was necessarily going. And yet a very effective leader for the shareholders of that company. They had no interest mm. in replacing him over the what twenty plus years that John Follett, the US born businessman, was leading that company. He did to a certain point though. Um, and I think he really effectively led that business during the time that that business was at, was at its height, hasn't necessarily future-proofed his business. Um, and I think that's a big part of what Sky have to portray now is that it is a completely different attitude, that it is an attitude that has to completely win over old customers and potential new customers and the New Zealand public in general because now we're just stuck in a content sports content, right? debate where people are going to have to buy multiple subscriptions to multiple services to watch one sport. There's a huge task ahead of them to be able to build trust back, and I think him being at the head of it is the, is the right way to approach it. You know, it makes sense to me, uh, looking at your research and the lessons that um, leaders could take from it uh, in business or politics or wherever, that leaders with a public profile they've built up in the media, that bank of trust uh, or recognition you referred to will have a head start you know, if and when they have to confront a crisis. But is it actually better for us, the public, if you know, companies and their leaders are totally focused on sticking to the knitting rather than actually trying to manage the media? 
I, I would argue that that is actually a core part of the, the function of, of the head of a business. I think one of the things that I find really fascinating about this field is that the, the cultural context around the world and leadership has massively changed. How people consume content is different. How people choose to follow and support people is completely different. There are new entire economic infrastructures around um, content creators and being able to follow someone on a one-to-one. And the amount of money and trust being put into people that can create personal connections with their audience is is huge. And it's it's in that more disruptive space that I feel like that's capitalising on a desire, especially from younger audiences, to be able to know someone and connect with someone and talk to them and take take their word for what it is that they recommend to you. It, it's used to present issues. It's used to get political support. It's used to get votes. It's used to get people to buy your T-shirt or buy your makeup. It's entirely, um, it's entirely based on personal and one-to-one connection because if you think of how people... Uh, consume and interact now there's I know I have a whole range of colleagues that I never see in person I only ever see digitally but to me that's still a one-to-one connection that feels more connected to me than it does sitting in a room full of 20 people and they might be one of those 20 people so it's a it's a completely different shift to how people want to be talked to and then when you look at um, the rise of very of aggressive populist leaders that's appealing to a demographic that's outside of that desire. So there's also a backlash towards that. It's not specifically about social as much as it is about an approach. So I see CEOs do it with media generally as well, is that they don't want to front something or they don't want to talk about something that's, if they don't have to, they don't consider it to be part of their their kind of core responsibilities, that there's other people that will do that for them. And that's that's not going to be the most effective way for people to know who you are. Um, And when people know who you are and have seen you before and have experienced what you stand for and how you respond to things, that's the best way to be believable. And it's being believable that is going to be the most important thing in a crisis or if you want new customers or if you want you know, new business partners, all of those things are incredibly important. But say, for example, just to pick an example, if there was a growing backlash against Air New Zealand's safety videos, there's real mm-hmm. public drivers say, actually, we're fed up with this, it's making the country look silly, makes the company stop doing it, we hate it, um, don't do it. And you've got a new chief executive, how does he handle that? Would Would the best thing to do for him to be, as a new CEO, to try and handle that himself, look and communicate directly, or... Is this the sort of thing where it'd be smart as actually I'll put the head of sales or the head of marketing on that? They can go and do a YouTube video. We'll pump that out of the company's accounts, and therefore my face isn't all over it. So there is often a misconception that as long as someone talks, it's fine. Yeah, ticks the box. Yeah. We've responded. We've engaged. Yeah, yeah. but I, I I would often read and the absence of um, a core leader or a core figurehead makes you wonder. Well, why isn't this important enough for them to comment on? Where are they? Why aren't they commenting? Because it's easy enough to do. If you've strategically made a decision, okay, no, we don't, that safety video is not not very good, we've heard you, or no, we believe in it, and here's the reasons why, who communicates that is really important. And one tool, one use, I guess, that uh, leaders, whether in business or politics, can put this to is it, it kind of gives them an option of bypassing 
the news media, possibly, potentially. Mm. One of the interesting things about the research that you've done here is that you're looking at the coverage of these crises and the perception largely via media reporting, mm. media, news media, analysis and interpretation of how these leaders have performed. But if you have leaders that are good communicators can use those channels, is there an option for them to sort of bypass news media and get messages directly out to the public and something the media should maybe be wary of? No, and there's a lot of issues at play in that, obviously, with um, the voracious nature of news and content now where it is just you, you take you'll kind of take anything, turn it into information, be able to have, have information and content to post. I think it's not so much that people would avoid news media. I don't think that would be a smart strategy in any in any sense of the word. I mean, the way that I view media, and I mean, I am a media analyst, so this is potentially a bit biased, but social media might start a story. It might start a piece of information verification always comes from known media sources. The trust and believability in media brands is still there regardless of of how people consume it. Um, There's always going to be a need to interact with media. Social feeds will just become this constant wheel of promotion and people will get completely turned off and they they still want verification of what people are saying and that that is what comes from media now. This week we've seen... Sky TV and the Rugby Union together announcing the deal that they struck behind closed doors in the weekend. So Monday morning, there's quite a slick announcement um, by what you, using one of their own presenters, almost like a TV show production. But then 25 minutes of questions mm. from journalists where they're asking, well, what about this 5% stake? What about the, mm. um, how are you structuring it? How are you paying for it? And some really awkward mm. questions about conflict of interest and so on and why other bidders weren't allowed in there. But in five years' time, you know, we could be looking at the same two bodies renewing their rights. I wonder whether the whole thing might not be handled as a broadcast without the media, direct to the public, you know, from a similar studio in the same way, um, where the companies just put out their own view. Martin Stewart, you know, five years in the job now is doing mm. an even more elaborate video where they're throwing rugby balls to him and he's announcing the deal to the public, much as he did on Monday. And we, we kind of cut out the media. Is that not a possibility? It's it's always a possibility. I think it's more that I think is an underestimation of the public, though. I think the it's building up a bank of trust to a point, but it's not about becoming a weird sycophant for a corporate. It's and not. They also want to see them tested yeah, and scrutinised by people that they also recognise and know and trust, like yeah. political journalists that they see on television or hear on the radio or, or yeah. read their bylines in the paper. So if you don't have that, then you don't have what you mentioned, the authenticity. Yeah. yeah. That was Nairi Crawford, the head of insights at the media monitoring company Icentia, talking to me there about leading through crisis, a new report analysing how four leaders, including Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, handled a major news crisis. It's the third in a series of reports on what good leadership looks like in the media.